Welcome back to Rethinking Politics. We're glad to have you here with us for episode 69, where we're going to figure out what is wrong with the world today. This is the question that has been posed by Dan, and and hopefully in the next hour or so, we're going to get it all figured out. How's that sound, Dan? Yeah, we know you've been wondering what's wrong. You know, everybody has opinions, but we we thought we'd just settle the question for you. Just just going to come here, and over the next hour, we're just going to... Just gonna pin that down for you, and you can you can go home. You don't have to wonder anymore. It'll be it'll be that easy. So so here you go. If you want to pick out a notepad. So 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 the so my first answer is 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 establishing what isn't the answer, and and first of all, it's not COVID. COVID is not what's wrong with the world today. You know the the past two years have been crazy. And pinning it all on COVID is is inaccurate, I think, and missing a lot of underlying problems. I do think there is validity in the fact that the reason things feel so terrible right now is because this pandemic has been and is currently a crisis. And in times of crisis, you know, in times of stress you know, that's when things crack. That's when things fall apart. That's when we notice the gaping deficiencies. You know, an example of that is just in my company, you know, in in the company where I work, you know, we're, we're a warehouse, we're moving product from A to B. It's pretty straightforward. And we've been doing, you know, certain things for years and decades. And yet when, when COVID hit and the supply chain got disrupted, there were many things that had to change that were inefficient for decades, but were never noticed until there was that added stress to the system. And I think that's what's happened on a global scale on many different levels. I'm not just talking the supply chain, and I'm not even just talking politics. I'm talking politics, you know, um, society in general, in general, kind of cultural things, spiritual things. There have been so many things that have been struggling and this added stress has simply pointed out those failures. I I like that. I I think of uh, right off the bat with the uh, we the very beginning when we didn't know what was going to happen. We're all stuck in in the most boring apocalypse ever, right? You look outside at people and you see them through their windows, but no one's interacting because we don't we don't know how dangerous this is. We don't have a good sense of this. Um, everybody is stuck at home, and their families were able, as you're saying, certain cracks were revealed that were always there, Mm -hmm. but became unbearable under the strain. Yeah. And in some cases, a a family in their lives got significantly better to the point where they're like, yeah, I'm never going back to the office for work, right? I'm (laughs) going to just stick, stay home much more and do things a a lot more. And And they found more satisfaction than they expected. Others, I mean, there's a reason there's a rise in crime and it's, it's not just against neighbors. It's against people in your own household and, um, makes me wonder what the divorce rates were and things like that. Yeah. I would would guess that they went up too. Yeah. I I hadn't thought of that. Um, but it certainly, there was certainly a point or two in my own family where we were like, all right, what we're doing is unsustainable Mm -hmm. and we have to sustain it for an indefinite amount of time. So. So what do we do? What do we, how do we actually make a significant change in a positive way that leads to, uh, you know, that, that, that remains flexible enough that it can be adjusted in the future and has a kind of positive feedback loop, right? Where it's, it works for today and it will work better tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, what you want. That's, that's the ideal. <laughs> Obviously, life, you're, you're going up and down a little bit just due to, natural pressures and your own stress levels and mistakes and things all of all of life is somewhat up and down but you hope it's up and down you know with a gradual increase along the curve right <laughs> I, I, was, I laugh because uh, that's that's that is the hope dan <laughs> <laughs> i've talked to a number of teenagers lately interact with teenagers and and uh people who have various challenges anyway i look at how emotionally unstable they are and I think if nothing else, their lives will get better because biologically they're just going to become a little more stable, right? <laughs> they're going to get a little more, a little less, a little less crazy. But anyway, anyway, you were saying it's not COVID. I was going to, if one more thought on that, uh, in Australia, if I were locked down 
and I were, and I believed that it was as dangerous as they say. There was a, there was a poll where they asked people in the United States, uh, oh, I don't have the demographics. What was the demographics that they, they asked? There was a shocking amount of people who thought that COVID had killed at least 10% of the American population. In the United States, people thought that? In the United States. People in the United States thought 10% of the United States plus died. That would it would be insane if ten percent of the United States thought that that would boggle my mind. You know I what would, I mean? If I would, if one yeah, yeah, percent yeah. of of the United States population thought that, I would say we have a serious misinformation problem. We do have a serious misinformation problem. I, I was, gonna... but but that yes, that is frightening, right? That's crazy. Um, I'll see if That's I can crazy. find the numbers and throw that at you while That's... you while you continue diagnosing what's wrong with the world. I, I, or what I, I was about to say, I thought I, I thought I had satisfied it by establishing one thing that it was not. I felt like that alone was so revolutionary that I kind of hang my hat on that and, and say, thank you for visiting. We hope you, we hope you enjoy your day. Um, <laughs> We're done here. Mic drop. Um, one, one, one thing that I'd like to talk about of what's wrong with, with the world today is, uh, you know, it is, the us versus them mentality and specifically in politics it's it's especially troubling and it's 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 one of those failures that i think covid has really highlighted it's something we've talked about before about the two party system but i think it's worth bringing up again a great example of this or a weird example of this is a uh, is Newsom's response to the the Texas abortion law. You know, so we've talked about the Texas abortion law before. That Texas is trying to circumnav circumvent, not circumnavigate, circumvent the uh the Supreme Court's ability to overturn state law by changing how they're structuring their law. And that's where you have the ability for for citizens to to sue anyone who's involved with an abortion, anyone who aids in an abortion, and and they're hoping to to prevent the Supreme Court from overturning that law. And it seems like in the short term at least, it's been effective because they haven't they haven't overturned the law out of hand. They're gonna wait for an actual case before they before they, they block the law. And so with that being the reality, Governor Newsom has come out and said, okay, well, if, if Texas can do that, which he goes on, which he has stated in the past is a violation of, uh, of the protection of federal rights for the state to do that. But if Texas can do that, then California is going to do the same thing, except in regards to gun control. You know, so he's going to set up a, well, his goal is set up a similar system where you can sue anyone who's involved in making, selling, or distributing an assault weapon or some kind of ghost gun kit or parts. And it even has the same, uh, you know, $10,000 price tag attached to it just to make sure the connection is clear. And in fact, he's got a, a great quote here that he tweeted. This is a Newsome. SCOTUS is letting private citizens in Texas sue to stop abortion, question mark, exclamation mark. So I guess I should reread that. SCOTUS is letting private citizens in Texas sue to stop abortion? If that's the precedent, then we'll let Californians sue those who put ghost guns and assault weapons on our streets. If Texas can ban abortion and endanger lives, California can ban deadly weapons of war and save lives. And this is, of course, coming from a, a New York Times article is where I'm pulling this from. And, and, and their headline above, their, their subheadline is even better than his tweet for capturing the strangeness of the situation. Governor Gavin Newsom of California accused Texas of insulating its abortion law from the courts and then called on lawmakers to use a similar strategy to go after the gun industry. And what I think is so fascinating about this is is not the fact that California wants to ban guns because that's about as new as Texas wanting to ban abortion. You know, in, in both of these cases, you've got these states that have very classically held, you know, opinions that everyone's familiar with. What's interesting here is uh, 
is historically conservatives have been very much in favor of federalism while while you know liberals want to use the federal government to protect rights nationwide which is why so many are concerned with the Texas law because what the Texas law is doing is trying to stop that process from happening that way because if if the uh supreme court and this is obviously an extreme case you know the abortion isn't quite that extreme you know just the the texas law itself isn't but theoretically the precedent is that we want more things to be decided by the states and less things to be decided by the federal government including the supreme court which is something that on paper Governor Newsom is definitely opposed to. He wants the federal government to decide, not the states. But he's basically taken the fact that Texas has done this as an invitation to do the same thing. And of course, there's the the inherent hypocrisy in this. And, and of course, the conservatives are going to jump on Newsom for this hypocrisy. What I'm pointing out is, is that this hypocrisy, this gamesmanship is not is not unusual it's how the system is set up it's how everyone plays the game in order to be a politician today you have to learn to double speak i mean when it came to covid and it came to vaccine mandates that's what both sides did both sides would say would use other arguments like let's say the abortion arguments and say conservatives would say hey I thought you were pro-choice, you know, my body, my choice, so I should be able to do this. And the liberals were saying, I thought you were pro-life, so we should be able to do whatever it takes to preserve life, using the other side's arguments. And my immediate thought whenever either side would do that is, I thought you didn't believe that argument. I thought you said that argument didn't make sense, and now you're using that argument? Does that mean you've changed your mind on abortion? You know, have both sides switched, my switched sides? on abortion because of COVID? Obviously not. No, what they're doing is they've decided in order to make an argument to hold two contradictory views, at least according to them, contradictory views, and argue them simultaneously. And they think that's an effective approach. And what's crazy is that very often it is. Why are, why are these approaches effective? Why is someone like Newsom able to to say this and not get laughed off the stage? You know what I mean? For for just the the, the asininery of the whole thing. <laughs> it's silly. It's silly. I, I've heard Democratic uh, and, and oh leader... no, so I I forgot where I was even going with fin this. Fin sorry, finish no, your thought. I, and I then thought I'll I had finished. Share it, another I example. Where I started, which is that the reason they get away with it is because people don't care about who's right. They just care about their side winning. And that I think is the problem is that conservatives care about the thing, the issues they believe in. But when it comes to these arguments and it comes to the politicians, they're just going to side with whoever's on their side. You know what I mean? The ref's call is only a bad call. If it hurts my team is the analogy I've made in the past. And I think that, that is one of the major failings, is the fact that people are more concerned with winning than they are with actually doing what's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's absolutely true. I don't just true, mean politicians. Right? I mean regular people. You mean regular – that this is not merely a political phenomenon you're saying – or are you saying regular people participating in the political? That's what I'm saying. Thank you. The second Regular one, people. Okay. The last one. The second one. Okay. Okay. Um, I was going to say that uh, – the, the most silly area where I see this is with the name calling. I've heard uh, Democrats say ridiculous things in speeches and, you know, throw, throw insults, make personal attacks. And when confronted on it, they said, what are you talking about? Republicans do this all the time. Mm -hmm. Trump wrote the book on this. Yeah. And... In like as you're saying, in the same in the same moment, they're they're bashing Trump for doing something 
they're using that to defend their own doing it. It's a it's a way to point the finger at the other person, even as you're doing the mm -hmm. same thing. Mm -hmm. And it's like, if, if there is a moral principle here, if there is something wrong with this, you should not be doing yeah, it. Yeah, just like with Newsom and the Texas thing. If, yeah, if the Texas thing is wrong, then we shouldn't do it. We shouldn't do it because that's what they did. And so we should play dirty like they're playing, you know? Right, right. It would be pretty... And I think, I think anyone who's standing outside of the parties in terms of their you know, isn't, isn't caught up in the parties. We'll say that you can be a part of the party, either party and, and still see this. Um, <laughs> like you said, you feel like, you feel like the player, you feel like the fan at a, at a basketball game or football game who doesn't really strongly prefer either team listening to them complain about the calls. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's completely arbitrary. It's completely arbitrary. Why do you, why do you think that is? We, we've talked a little bit about, about how that mindset comes from it's the, it's the war mindset. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's that so much is at stake here that I can't, I can't. Well, it's, uh, I honestly think it's, it's, it's fear mongering. It's, it's a technique that's used to get people to turn out for elections you know, both parties use this on a regular basis mm -hmm. that, you know, we talked about this before, you know, this election is the election that will decide everything. Yeah. This yeah. issue is the issue that will decide everything. I think it's one of the reasons why both parties, when push comes to shove, even though the conservatives technically claim to be more in favor of federalism, will use the federal government to force their will on states when they have that opportunity. because. It's all or nothing. You know, I, I keep thinking about this, this Texas thing and this California thing. And as someone who is, generally speaking, anti-abortion and pro-gun, you know, in, in terms of these two issues, I tend to have the conservative beliefs. Um, I, you know, I, I may not line up perfectly, but I align pretty darn close. I honestly think that the best solution is for Texas to be able to ban abortions and California to be able to ban guns. That's that's looking at it, I would say that is not the end of the world. I think that is the best solution for what is happening here is is actually letting the states have that power and the best, the best solution within it, within the realm of possibility, right? Yes, absolutely. You can, you can like, daydream all you want political, about political what political <laughs> pragmatism. Because the problem is, as we've talked about this before, is that anytime you have power, you 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 push for as much as you can, and it's it's creating this situation that we live in that it's all or nothing because both parties, both sides, keep trying to make it all or nothing. And the end result of that is they keep giving more and more power to the national government. And every time they do that, it does make it more all or nothing. You know, it's this, mm -hmm. it's this kind of downward spiral because it's a, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. The more you yeah. make it all or nothing, the more it does become all or nothing. Yeah, yeah the more power it wields, mm -hmm. the more is at stake. And the more is at stake, the more power you feel yeah, exactly. like you have and to give it to accomplish your, your aims. Yeah. So where where is where is the moral failing here? Because there's obviously there's there's the people who are deceived by this. There's the there's the people who are frightened, right? They they um either from a lack of foresight and understanding of how these things work, which is perfectly understandable because there are a billion better ways to spend your time than than listening to politics. And I don't I don't I don't want to so many of so many people, especially if they're involved in politics, they come down hard on the people who don't pay enough attention to see through the lies. They don't, they don't realize it's a show. Um, and yes, I think to get out of where we are, there has to be an awakening to the show. There has to be enough attention paid to pull people out of it. But most of the time when people pay attention, they get worse, not better. They they uh, yeah. they go from like a benign I'm outside of it and I just don't really pay attention to like a passionate team player mm -hmm. right and that's not better that's worse um so yes there needs to be an awakening and there needs to be attention paid to it but it's a uh, uh at the same time 
Um, yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't want to blame them. Who's the? Is is there a point in here where we could say there are corrupt actors doing something they should? Absolutely, absolutely. But but I don't. I don't think that's capturing the whole problem because because as you're saying, but, the- but Brad, wait, wait, wait. But it's so satisfying. I mean, if they're going <laughs> to say what's wrong with the world, really, what we actually want is who's the problem in the world, right? <laughs> That's what I'm fishing for here. Give me some, give me some heat. No, and, and I'm just that's, kidding. Carry on. You're right. You're absolutely right. And 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 that I think can often be the the moral <laughs> failure that you're pointing to is is that well maybe not even guy. the moral failure but just the the general failure is that everyone is just trying to find a boogeyman to blame everything on, mm-hmm. and and the problem is is that if our priority is is blaming things, blame. <laughs> It's weird because the whole purpose of blame is to decide whose fault the bad thing is. Blaming mm-hmm. is not a tool in your arsenal when it comes to solving any given issue. You know, blame has never solved any <laughs> given issue. You know what I mean? It's like the sink's not working. Working. Okay, well, what's the first step to fix, fixing it? It's to decide who gets the blame, you know? That's not how it works. You know, in order to fix the sink, you have to fix right. the sink. Um, right. You can you can establish responsibility perhaps in the eye to looking at preventing future problems. Yes. But, but, but you're right in terms – it doesn't fix the problem at all. It doesn't yeah, fix the sink. You're right. You're right. That's, that's, that's two problems. And, preventing and as, the problem in the future and, is and one I'm, problem. And I'm well aware of that because – because you'll notice on this podcast, we we do this all the time. You know, I understand the hypocrisy of what I'm saying right now. That that on a on a regular basis, we are trying to decide who's who's wrong and who's right. Because it is important. You're absolutely right. It is important, especially mm-hmm. in politics, to say, okay, well, what is the right answer, and what is the not right answer, which is the wrong answer. You know what I mean? You have to be able to make that distinction, and I think that's incredibly valuable. But I also think the you can't spend all of your time blaming. You have to have another step. You have to have something else that you're doing. And that's part of why when we're looking at things, we are trying to find solutions. Like our episode where we're looking at the medical industry and seeing things that people are doing right now where they're not trying to find blame. You know, the Oklahoma Surgery Center is not there looking for blame. They're out there looking for solutions. Yeah, the new uh, the new uh, university that was started. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, I loved I loved the statement when the from the president, future president. I don't remember who made the statement about the school that we we read a, a, a blip of or referred to, um, but it talked about how we 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 kept waiting for somebody to solve the problem and realized that it's going to be us. If, if, no one's no one's going to do it, so we have to do something about it. Um, I think that's I think that's an interesting. That's an interesting aspect to it. It, it. In fact, that that points me towards one one of the things I've been leaning towards. I trying to diagnose this. It's interesting because we hear everybody, everybody, we everybody. Hear, we hear everybody. That is some incredible hyperbole, <laughs> man. We have you know elephant ears are no exaggerations to at ours. all. We're basically. You didn't know it, but you were you're receiving revelation listening to this podcast. So we're divine. Oh, that's terrible. Um, so, <laughs> so lost my train of thought in my own deification of uh, of our, of our <laughs> podcast. Um, you're killing me. You may be able to hear a- everything, but you can't remember it. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> it's too too many things in my brain. Yeah, if you, when you're hearing heard, everyone, heard too much. Can't even keep your Can't own hear myself think over yeah. If you guys just stay, keep a little quieter, please. Um, the uh, I have lost. I had it, and then I lost it again. Okay, no, I got it. This this was an interesting thing that uh, that honestly uh, it, was, it was observed by Joe Rogan in an odd moment um, that I thought was interesting. Joe Rogan is an interesting human being. Uh, I would I would love to have some kind of assessment of how he measured up in a, in a standard school test sense of his intelligence. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was very high, but it's really hard to tell because he has talked to so many people mm-hmm. all the time, always engaged in this social way and always learning from people. 
to the point where I think he's a he has actually acquired some impressive legitimate level wisdom. Intelligence. Yes, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if intelligence is the right word, but certainly yeah. wisdom. Okay. Um, well, uh, and maybe that's because of the way we use intelligence right now. Is anyways. Let's. Well, I'm not. I'm not going right, to split right. hairs with you here. No. Yeah, and I don't. I don't. I, I'm open to the idea that he's intelligent as well, but but certainly what what I heard was wisdom, and so that's why I left it at that. Um, but he pointed out that, uh, that a significant there's a significant degree of cowardice in how we handled COVID nineteen, and not the cowardice of there is a threat, it is a serious threat, and we should take precautions uh, for that threat. That's not cowardice, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's simple, rational reactions. Um, it wasn't, you shouldn't be foolhardy in the threats that you confront. He, he's not talking some kind of uh, foolhardiness, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, a, a blind courage. Well, yeah, I mean, this is a man uh, who got COVID and, and threw the kitchen sink at it. So obviously he's not saying, you know, <laughs> right. we should just not there care was, and tough it out. Right. There was a legitimate threat there. Um, but he... Uh, but I've been thinking about his his uh, assessment of 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 the way we've handled it being the way that that cowards he said that how we've handled COVID is the way that cowards handle adversity, and what they do is they look for somebody to save them from, and they hide. And wow, that's brutal. Since then. It- <laughs> It was brutal, right? And this is, this is, he's speaking extremely broad, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. That's an unfair diagnosis mm-hmm. at an individual level of it. You'd have to look at everybody case by case, right? Uh-huh. But I, but something about it struck me as, as true in the sense that, and I learned this later. One of the reasons, I think, one of the reasons why the institutions like Harvard and other medical groups never had COVID, uh, guidelines for the treatment of COVID. Yeah. They, what, what happens is they usually see a bunch of patients. They usually treat them. They usually find things that they work. They create a protocol. Episode. They create a protocol and, and then they compare those with other groups and they, and they develop from the ground up a, a treatment process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is something um, that a uh, dark horse talked about recently yes. as well. Yes. And we observed that in the, in our episode on COVID that this didn't happen. I then learned something more frightening. It wasn't that they were worried for, I had assumed that there were political reasons that they didn't put forward the things, you know, they were on some unified standard. I'd I'd come up with all these political explanations. They didn't see COVID patients. They didn't treat them. At all. At all. At least not in in any organized, you know, uh, way in which they treat other institutions. And uh, and uh, I heard a doctor speculating about why that made some alarming sense, and it was that they were afraid they would get COVID and they would die, which is not irrational. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if that's true, and it, and it may not even be true, right? <laughs> but if that's true, right? This this seems like an example of of cowardice. Yes, it's it's not. It's not shameful, maybe, to be a doctor and to be scared for your life of, of, some, of something like that. But it is certainly a failure of courage if you were the kind of person who, by treating these people, could develop the protocols that could save tons of lives. At this point, this point there are good estimates that if good protocols had been developed as they should have been and implemented, that you would have saved 50% to 85% of the lives of the people who died. That's crazy. Because it's actually remarkably treatable. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. It is crazy. It is crazy. And if what's in, and what is underneath that, certainly bad political incentives and other things we talk about, but, but, but what about the people who could have learned those kind of things, who looked at the, looked at their lives or whatever it was, you know, their circumstances, and they said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be treat these patients. I'm not going to interact with these people. I'm not going to take these risks. And that's not to pick on any one of them or to call any one of them out or anything. It's it's 
But it's to say that there is, I think there is a serious need for people to act courageously, to create things and to do things like that. Mm -hmm. COVID protocols. No, I mean, and and the, the story of COVID protocols is one of that where you have individual doctors who discovered their own protocols you know, were were ridiculed for it, and then months and months later, end up being, you know, end up being uh, vindicated in the end. You know what I mean? I mean, you right. know, we've talked about this before about how most of the things that have finally made it into the protocol here we are, almost two years into this pandemic, were things that doctors, individual doctors, have been doing since spring of last year. But spring of last year, they were told that was stupid. You know what I mean? And it took so mm-hmm. long for those things to be accepted because, yeah. because of a number of reasons. But those but those individuals did have that courage. You know what I mean? Did have the courage yes. to do things that could have potentially destroyed their careers. I mean, there are stories of doctors who have treated patients and have been threatened with all sorts of things for doing what they think is best for their patients, using the knowledge that they have from treating patients. Yes. Yes. And like you said, at this point, you can go back and you can look at things. Uh, uh, Most of those early treatments at best were, or at worst were benign. And in a lot of cases were extremely Mm -hmm. helpful. And if they had been implemented broadly, like they should have been, instead of having this weird political uh, top-down thing that uh, that came in part in the absence of of even courage at the top. I uh, people not actually looking at the studies and being willing to to make the risks to to judge things themselves and to say this is what we're going to try and to then carry the weight of that responsibility. I mean, the the original treatment plan for COVID was do nothing until they have to get on a ventilator, mm-hmm. basically in the hospital, mm-hmm. it, it, which is just which bizarre, is crazy. right? And the fact that that no one pushed for, I mean, lots of people did, but the fact that it didn't actually get changed for so long was, is uh, underneath there is yeah, certainly so bad incentives. The medical and a lot travesty, though, at the very least. Yes, yes. But there's also, yeah, I think there's a lack of courage. I, I'm looking at, I'm looking at uh, Twitter. Twitter, Jack oh, I'm Dorsey. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> I thought you meant you were reading Twitter. But no, you're you're talking about the organization. Well, I mean, I'm I, sorry, I, still, but continue. We, I think, between us, we spend probably too little time. Of what's, we probably don't spend enough time reading Twitter, which is, which is hard to say because the amount of time you probably ideal amount of time you should spend on Twitter to learn about news things and what's going on there is actually remarkably low. It's way less time than most people spend on it. But we spend almost zero time on Twitter. <laughs> As you can tell if you uh, mess with our Twitter account. <coughs> you have a Twitter account? I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm the one who set it up, but it feels like that. Continue. Um, with Twitter, Jack Dorsey steps down. Jack Dorsey was uh, one of the founders, uh, has been CEO for some time, was a pro-free speech guy, by which we mean I mean, pro-free speech in this context is weird. If you are for free speech, generally what we're talking about is the right to free speech. It's which is a terrible concept to begin with because the right to free speech is not actually the right to. Spe- I'm not going to. Do I kind of want to go down that rabbit hole. I'm going to resist free speech. <laughs> the basic idea with free speech, right, is that is that no one can prescribe to you what opinions you have to express or not express. Mm-hmm. Um. In public, at least, is the way it's traditionally defined. You've got this right to say certain things as long as it doesn't lead to direct harm. Can't shout fire in a crowded theater is the classic example of that. But other than that, you can say what you want to say, no matter how wrong it is, and even no matter how offensive it is. Mm -hmm. Again, with exceptions for provoking a fight and things like that. So you have this, this free speech. That's not what is being discussed at Twitter. Twitter, as a private institution, mm-hmm. your rights are not perfected, protected. Or perfected. Your right to free speech or perfected. Your right to pre- free speech doesn't matter in my house. Mm-hmm. You come to my house and you say something that I don't like. Mm-hmm. I can say, get out. 
and you go, wait, 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 I have the right to free speech. Yeah. <laughs> I have the right to kick you out of my yeah, house. Just right? like so, how most businesses have the have a sign that says they have the right to refuse service to anyone. They don't have to have that sign up in order to kick someone out. You know, that's just yes. the, that's just them being that's polite. A courtesy yeah, reminder. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a it's a vague threat for anyone who's gonna considering a acting inappropriately mm-hmm. but anyone anyone will know that you can get kicked out of a store for all sorts of things but one of those would be you know most most any given random monologue you know if you go long enough you know if you go and try and set up set up a a political monologue in a gas station they're going to throw you out because they, they have no interest in that you know what i mean it's not that they, <laughs> eventually it's not yeah. even if it's because they think the speech is offensive or anything they're just like no you can come in here and buy <laughs> chips and get out <laughs> <laughs> right, you're ruining like, our. You can't uh, be like, oh, but free speech is like that, that has nothing to do with this. This is our business, and we we set it up so you can buy chips. I don't know why chips are the focus of most gas stations, but in this story, but that is literally what they almost. That's what I imagine people walking out with if they go into a gas station. <laughs> chips, maybe an energy drink. Uh, Jack Dorsey steps down. He had been. Not the bastion of free speech, because it doesn't make sense in this context. The bastion of open, free debate. Mm-hmm. He thought it was useful for people to express yeah, their opinions. Yeah, I mean, you can, you can argue he feedback. has been a bastion for free speech. Because if a gas station will let you have an hour-long political monologue, and that's part of their standing policy, then those gas stations are a great bastion for free speech. You know what I mean? Whereas all the other ones are tyrannical. Well, well, they're they're not a <laughs> they're bastion anti-free for sure, speech. right? You know what I mean? If you want <laughs> yeah, free yeah, speech, yeah. don't go to a gas station, go somewhere else. <laughs> so if you want free speech and Twitter is a great place for it, then yeah, that's a bastion of free speech. I don't think there's anything yeah, wrong yeah, with yeah. saying that. Fair enough. Fair enough. It's a private institution in which you acting along the same public mm-hmm. guidelines. Creates yeah. a bastion. Yeah, absolutely. Fair enough. I'd say Jack that's literally Dorsey, what it was. So I'm gonna I'm gonna Go back and I'm going to rephrase this for the fourth time. You're welcome. Jack Dorsey, bastion of free speech. <laughs> <laughs> so, he, uh, he, uh, obviously Twitter has been censoring people for some time, even while he was there. Um, but in his absence, we can tell that he's gone. Immediately there have been changes. <laughs> Prague or Growell, uh, I have no idea how to say his name appropriately. Um, do I. So we're going to leave it at that. I never even read uh, his name before this, so that's how closely I follow Twitter. Yeah, I was going to say, I think I heard it once, and it didn't sound like what I just said. So, clearly got it wrong. This is the first time we've made this mistake, and it'll definitely be the last time. Carry on. <laughs> He's obviously at the other end of the spectrum. He stated as much. He's been pretty open about it. And as if that's what they want to do, that's fine. Here's what, here's the two things that I, I think first off, that's a mistake because Twitter is aimed at communication. And if you want communication to be good, what you want to do is you want to, you can put some limits on it for appropriateness of content and things, but you don't want to censor, censor political opinions because the result is not the result that you hope for. Well, and people try it. And just pragmatically speaking, people are going to leave if it loses that power. You know, right now, Twitter is so effective because it is the place where you can just hear straight from the horse's mouth what people are saying on any mm-hmm. hot button issue. But as soon as only one side of any given discussion is allowed to say anything, or at least for all intents and purposes, that's how it ends up, then you no longer go there for that, for that openness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. So there's that side of it. There's the speech side of it where where debate, and, and we could hash this out at length, but the general idea is that debate enhances true opinions by exposing people who are wrong to the truth and people who are right to the counter arguments so that they can improve their argument. Right? Well, if so it, I disagree with that is, premise and here's why. Okay. No, I was kidding to prove it was a joke. Because debate, you know, no, never, nothing? You get it? I get it now. I get it now. You were just so assertive in it. Brad's been cracking jokes for the last couple hours before this podcast started, and I tracked none of them. I don't know if my my sarcasm sensor today is really off kilter. Usually (laughs) usually I pick it up pretty well. Not today. Uh, 
I'm fine making <laughs> Having... jokes that aren't funny. Ask anyone I work with. <laughs> if you can attain, if you can find the truth by reason, then exposing conversations to reason is your best bet. You want the arguments to happen. You want the arguments. Mm-hmm. They're, the, they're the surest defense of truth if truth is reasonable. So you play them, you let them play out. You let people judge. People develop their capacity to identify truth through this process of the back and forth. So if you want people in the long run, even in the short run, they become better and more adept at this, and your arguments for the truth become better. But in the long run, this is especially a big deal because people who hold these truths as, as true but have never confronted the counterarguments, it becomes simply a bias, a prejudice that they hold. Right? They, don't, they don't actually understand the ideas anymore because they've never had to defend them and they've never seen the opposite mm-hmm. ideas. And at that point, that idea often tanks because no one can defend it. We forget why we even hold these beliefs. And the next generation is just like, oh, it's just a stupid tradition. Right? That's one of those things that the youth of the next generation will just throw off because no one can defend it and actually sustain it from opposing arguments. It, it really undermines everything you want about a reason discussion. Everything you want from reason is undermined by this kind of thing. Now, there are people who believe that reason is ultimately impossible and we're just expressing our biases. And if you believe that kind of nonsense, I don't know what you're doing listening to podcasts and searching for things. So get off my <laughs> lawn. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Stay with uh. us. Please donate. <laughs> no, but seriously, this is, this is obviously why we go out of our way. Like I don't listen to a single person regularly that I agree with at this point in time. Besides me. Now I did it. <laughs> you think I listened to you? <laughs> at this point. Now there were points earlier where it was useful because I didn't understand my own ideas and I'm still, but at this point I can, I can reason through them myself. And so it's more useful for understanding even the things I agree with to listen to the, op- the people who are opposed to it and to interact with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and why in the in the future, Brad and I will be obviously be bringing on lots of guests and things to do exactly that with people we disagree with. Um, as it is, we'll have to deal with Brad sarcastically disagreeing. And <laughs> I do what I <laughs> the can. The occasional antagonistic comment on social media or whatever. Thank you for being villains, everybody. Um, we haven't gotten very many antagonistic comments. <laughs> have we gotten any? Not antagonistic, but some, you know, people making counter arguments and things, which has been well, yeah, that's different helpful. from antagonistic. We, we discuss them. Yes, yes. This disagreement's true. great. Antagonism is less great. Well, it's, yeah. <laughs> On the other hand, so we've got the free speech thing. I think this is a mistake for Twitter. I think they have curtailed exactly the things that reasonable people should be promoting, which is conversations. Um, there is some small room in an for argument that in emergency, you can't always have the full discussion. That's a side point because that's not what they're, that's not their claim. Their claim is something that they're inherently right to censor a variety of things because speech is harm and other various ideas. But the people you mentioned, Brad, the problem is that this is going to create some blowback, right? People are going to leave. I don't think they will. Okay. What, you want to expand I on think that? So, some people, some people will. I was like, "Do you have a reason for that, or are you just feeling real hunchy?" I'm just, <laughs> just feeling real hunchy. Hunchy. This is a great. Why do we talk about our gut when we could use the word hunchy? I, that's a great question. I have no answer for you. <laughs> hunchy. I think that it is inconvenient to leave. Hmm. Which is obvious, right? You, know, you got to switch your accounts. You got to the people that you want to follow may not be there. And that the same place from which we are- The same moral failing of lack of courage. Of of the lack of courage makes people say, I'm not going to leave. What I want, what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to appeal to authority to fix it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to, in in the face of some challenge to what I want in life, I'm going to call my mom which in this case is the government, mm-hmm. I'm going to tell them something about Facebook being a, or something about Facebook or Twitter being a publisher slash, uh, or, or, uh, editor, right? 
make some legal distinction and try and force them to behave force in them the way that fair. I think is appropriate. Yeah. So that I don't have to leave. Mm-hmm. And instead, they just do what I okay, want. Okay, now I see where you're going with this. And somewhere out there, we need to find some people who look at problems and say, I can fix this. I'm going to do something about it. And it's going to be we need convenient Dulé and Hill. I'm going to step into the unknown. <laughs> we need who? Dulé Hill. I can fix this. I can fix that. You know from Holes? The movie Holes? I've seen it. I may even have read the book. You know who Dulé Hill is, right? Gus from, from Psych? Yes. yes. Is he in Holes? Yes. He's he's the guy who he's so many he's years. the guy who falls in love with the teacher. It's it's the whole story. That's the reason the the, the you know what I don't want to explain the whole movie, <laughs> of, the the whole plot, the whole. Here. Everybody just hang tight. Just There's going to be a, an hour and a half break just, of just dead air. Just because we're going to go watch holes. Of Dan's faux pas here of of not <laughs> not recognizing that my, my quotable, faux pas. You've elevated word. not being able to remember. A young actor in a movie I saw years ago to the level of a social faux pas, huh? That, yes. All right, yes. all right. This is our level of friendship I here. stand this by our, that. My, his expectations are high. They're high. And random. <laughs> and I, I apologize for derailing the podcast, but I, I, I think if we can get you to rewatch Holes so you remember that quote, it'll make this whole episode worth it. We've come full circle. That's what's wrong with the world. Is you not remembering that quote? <laughs> you not remembering the fact Everybody that Dulé Hill is in the movie? Uh, it's not even that you don't remember the quote. It's that you're like, who? What? I know who that actor is, but I don't remember him from that movie, even though he's one of like the top <laughs> five characters in the movie. He may be top six, but still. All right. All right. Dulé Hill. Is that how you say his name? I don't know. Isn't it like just D-U-L-E? I'm pretty sure it's pronounced Dulé. We're more or less obsessed with Psych. I mean, anyway. I've, 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 I've seen them speak in person. I'm pretty sure it's Dulé Hill. That's weird. I've never heard that name. So, Brad. Yes. Is this, this is your, you're going to, I'm just going to go do it. Don't be afraid. I like it. I like the moral application here. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Seriously, though. People don't try and solve the problems anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They look at the institutions that are supposed to be handling the problem. They get mad at the institutions. They yell at them. They try and make laws to govern them. They don't try and solve the problem. Now, obviously, no, you don't and, that, need and that's it. why, and that's why we were so happy earlier when Trump said he was going to create a social media platform. Is not because we love yeah. Trump, but it's because we're like, yes, why aren't more people doing this? Why aren't more people saying, hey? Here's a vacuum in this area. We're going to fill that vacuum. I mean, that's why we mm -hmm. were so happy with Barry Weiss for trying to fill that, mm -hmm. I mean, gaping vacuum in terms of, of, of media organizations, you know, of, of good reporting. Um, it's, it's fantastic. You know I mean? We're excited about the university of Austin for the same reason, you know? I mean, that's, I mean, that's part of what we're doing here is we're trying to make our way mm -hmm. into this space and try and create something as, as difficult as it is. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a very different way to frame the world. What if you looked around you and you said, look, there's, there's a million institutions that do all these things and I can do it way better because they suck, right? <laughs> they, they really do in so many cases. They do it really, really poorly, and you could do it better. And this isn't this isn't like a revolutionary idea, right? We're not telling you to reinvent the wheel or, or come up with some new technology. Try square. <laughs> or meta. No, I meant for the wheel. Too meta. <laughs> for the wheel. <laughs> you know, you know try, don't reinvent the wheel, and I'm saying I, you're going to try I square. Think, I think Jack Dorsey runs step down in part to spend more time on his company square. Oh really? So, yes. so my joke was even better if so I had your known joke, that. <laughs> your joke threw me because I was thinking of Jack Dorsey. That makes sense. 
Of course, he changed the name from Square to Block because. <laughs> <coughs> Sorry, it's just that was really stupid. Because who knows brand branding? Anyway, anyway, Twitter. Uh, silly. I hope ideally Twitter burns in a fiery <laughs> lack of profit. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't expect you to come out so strong <laughs> after well, your, we were talking about this your, your the calm, show. collected discussion about Twitter. Twitter has has made profit one year in its existence, right? Where it was positive. Mm-hmm. It, it may be two years now, but it's not a lot. They they have struggled to be profitable. The last four quarters, they were technically profitable. Three of them, but when taken as a whole, the the one quarter that was so unprofitable makes the whole year a wash it's the whole year and that's yeah. how they've been for a long time that they've kind of been balanced on that razor's edge of making money and losing money and making money and losing money after years before where they were just losing money and now they've <laughs> achieved a new level which is called the plateau which is not <laughs> which is impressive compared to only losing money but it's not it's not good no, it's not good. You want to be making a profit in addition to paying back the debts mm-hmm, and things. Mm-hmm. If they're not making a profit, this is a massive problem. And hopefully one that, that leads to them falling apart as they do what they're doing. And, and maybe they had no choice in doing what they're doing in, in some ways by their, because of their audience and because of their, the employees that are there. But that's, it's good. I hope the natural consequences are that it fails miserably. Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but it's it's Burning less that we profit. want that you want Twitter to fail and more that you want other companies to enter this space and be and be successful. You know, I think I think tech is really triggering. is really <laughs> I don't know what two words I was trying to combine, but triggly is not what I was going for. It's not your best invention. The best invention was definitely uh, what did you just the term you just used for hunchy? Hunchy, yeah, hunchy it's not nearly as best. good. Triggly, not so much. <laughs> but is tech is tricky because there's this centralizing aspect to it that just because you're there and people have heard of you, it's so much harder for anyone else to compete in really unusual ways that are different than something like a store. Where if you set up a physical store across the street, mm-hmm. people are like, oh, well, maybe I'll go there. Especially if they got a sign saying half off, you know what I mean? Or whatever to mm-hmm. draw in business at first. With tech, it's just not quite the same way. I mean, it's there's this inertial, this inertial aspect to it that's really difficult to compete. And I'm really hoping that at some point in the next few years, people are going to figure out a way to be successful in that sphere because there there are ways and new companies do do pop up i mean right mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. in terms of social media the the rising giant to beat is tiktok but it didn't exist you know just a handful of years ago when no one i mean it was barely anything just a, just two years ago and already any luck it won't be anything in a couple more and, and, and <laughs> you know dan's hoping but but you're wrong dan it's not going anywhere it's it's it is it you know it's it's the new instagram you know and uh-huh. and and youtube combined in really weird stupid ways um i talked to some uh some of teenagers about it at length oh yeah because i was curious i i really dug into like what are you watching on there cuz i spend hours on there every day they're in some ways the classic people of of social media involvement mm-hmm. it was i've i've rarely been so disappointed in humanity <laughs> so, so this would be a, it made sense so this would be a really <laughs> awkward time to tell you that i have tiktok dan but i do i do and 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 half half of the interesting news stories that i bring to you that are, are recent i get from tiktok because i see things on there before i see them anywhere else that's rant that's odd it it is the, odd it, it's a it's, weird platform but i tiktok's weird yeah it ends up it ends up like pigeonholing people into into strange mm-hmm, threads mm-hmm. that are like bizarrely specific mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh anyway no and it's anyway. it's but it but my point is you know you know confessions aside and and all of this aside is that it can be done you know you you do have new platforms that rise up and you have new companies that rise up and and we need people to have the courage to do that. Um, speaking of courage and the lack of it, there are some areas where we have seen 
examples of more courage. Um, one that's really interesting is in the job market. More people are trying out entrepreneurial ventures in general that's true. than that's than true. have in the past. People are starting their own companies. They're starting different hustles of all sorts and varieties. I mean, it's something. It's part of the reason why you see so many crypto you know, crypto booms with these random currencies because people are trying to make money in unconventional ways. And in most of those cases, they are just big Ponzi schemes. I'm talking about all of the, you know, the the side currencies. I'm not, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum. And yeah, the side currencies. Not talking about those. I'm talking about all, you know, the, the Dogecoin and the Shiba and all of the others are. Yes. Are a place where people have basically started gambling to make a profit, which I'm not a big fan of, but it's the reason that's been so popular is because of that renewed interest in making money in unconventional ways, which is really interesting and cool. Yes, that's a good point. That's a good point. It is yeah, a product where you're buying it, where the only thing it's good for is selling it later is a, <laughs> is a bad product. That, that is really uh well no really, i uh, see strange see i i i completely disagree i think that that is a huge industry what you've described those words you know buying something to sell later is literally what walmart does <laughs> that's true that's true well i guess i guess uh the, but the product eventually serves some consumption yeah, yeah the, the 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 problem is is there's no end user Yes, which makes it in a lot of ways uh, have some of the same problems as an MLM. Mm-hmm. Right? It has, mm-hmm. has that that parallel where where somebody's left holding the bag. Mm-hmm. People are making money at the expense of other people who do not mm-hmm. benefit. Yeah, everyone who bought a Dogecoin when it was sixty seven cents, which I think is its current high, which is you know it's at like fifteen cents or something now, or it may have risen. I mean, it changes every hour, but you know it's mm-hmm. way lower than that. But everyone who bought it that high you know, is in many ways screwed as it hasn't mm-hmm. come, come close to that in months and months. Right. And, and they're the ones left holding different. the bag. Yes. Yes. They, the money exchanged hands and it was from them to the people who bought it early. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're saying, um, they, uh, there was no, no product has been offered. Yeah. Per especially se, when, other you, than have, the satisfaction especially when the you have these altcoins that have no interest in becoming currency. Cause the argument with Bitcoin is that this is now a, a something to hold yes. value in the future and that people are actually going to use it as a currency. So, so you don't need to get rid of it because you never need to turn it into US dollars because theoretically 10 years from now, you'll be able to, you know, go almost anywhere spend in the it. United States mm-hmm. and spend it. But that's not mm-hmm. true with these altcoins. There really is no, especially the small ones, there's no dream mm-hmm. of them ever becoming a currency. It's just speculative. But that's neither here nor there. I don't want to get too distracted on that that uh, black hole that is the crypto world. You're right, though, about the the, the lean towards entrepreneurship is a good sign uh, that people are experimenting. That is that is risk taking. That is courage, um, and that that takes uh, they they may be able to find unconventional ways to to solve many of the problems we have that we didn't realize were problems until the pressure of COVID and the supply chains and things. Um, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's interesting. I I think even what you were saying at the beginning can is, is an element of this. You ask why, why is it that people lean into partisanship in the face of disaster? It's that same, it's that same, it's this element of self-justification where someone it's not enough. The way, the way that the, the mind works and the way we rationalize our, our faults, it's not enough for us to be afraid and then capitulate to that fear and then just be like, man, I'm a coward. <laughs> I guess, I guess I'm just that person. I get afraid and I just, I bow to it. No, what we do is we, we think of our, we then rethink of our capitulation to our fears as its own virtue. Mm-hmm. We, we're the wise ones. Mm-hmm. We're the ones who, who saw it coming. We're the ones who are, are, are listening to the, to the right people. Um, and that's to a large degree. I think that happened with COVID where, where the fanaticism of belief in authority that came out of COVID 
is, is that self-justification for cowardice. It's that flip side. It's that rationalization that leads us to lean into it, that leads someone in an almost, uh, what's the word, Stockholm Syndrome-like way, <laughs> where someone in Australia can be so grateful to the government mm-hmm. for locking them up for, for two for, years. Yeah, so long. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a sick thing, but it's, it's the way that self-justification works. It's the way we, we deceive ourselves in this manner all the time, where we, we make our vices seem like virtues and we hide the fact that what it, what it actually is, is faults and weaknesses. It's very, it's very hard to actually see your own faults if you're not, uh, looking and if you're not, uh, aware and humble and a variety of other virtues that kind of open your eyes to it. No, it's, uh, I think that was well put and uh and brutal and in some ways hard to hear Dan so so I appreciate that cuz I cuz I mean I I I see it I see I see it in myself you know the the many yes yeah the the over the past 2 years the the kind of open-ended excuse that has been this pandemic for so many things you know and yeah. and, and so many things you know in my life that that I've put on hold, you know, I just looked at, uh, I just looked at my fitness pal, which is a popular app people use for, uh, for weight loss. And, and I looked at, cause I put in a goal and I looked at when I had put it in and it was uh February of 2020 is when I started using the app and I had lost something like 14 pounds right as COVID started. But before we realized it was going to be a serious thing and then and then COVID hit, right? And like hit here in the United States where every, where all the businesses changed what they were doing, <laughs> you know, everything shut down and, and it was like, oh, well, this is an emergency. So I'm not going to worry about my weight loss right now. I'll, I'll start again in a month or two when this <laughs> is over. Right. And I, and I'm looking at it and seeing the date and seeing how it's been almost two years since that, that happened. And it was just, it was just a weird moment for me. You know what I mean? Realizing that that's something I care about. I had put on hold for something like 18, 19 months, you know, and obviously, obviously, I mean, this is stupid to even say, but I just want to be clear at no point did I lose the ability to watch what I ate and to exercise, you know, at no point was, was anything in my life restricted in a way that I couldn't have continued doing what I was doing. It was all psychological from start to finish, you know what I mean? And that's, especially here in the United States, yeah, that's so yeah. much of the case. You know, if you're in Australia and in US, especially in those areas that are more locked down, there are real restrictions on what you can and can't do. In the United mm-hmm. States, we talk about lockdowns and there have been general short-term things. We've had mask mandates and even vaccine mandates. But in general, here in the United States, you're able to do what you want to do. And that is still true today. And and people can disagree with me on that, but I think they're they're dead wrong that we can do what we want to do today in so many ways. I mean, yes, there are right. always restrictions and there have always been restrictions. Yeah, there were routines thrown off by things like gyms temporarily yes, closing. There, no, right? no, Stuff there like are that. there are restrictions. But I'm saying generally speaking, the pandemic mm-hmm. and it has not stopped the world as much as the world has stopped itself in response to the pandemic. And I'm mm-hmm. saying not just politically and not just in, in business closing down, but also on a personal level. And I'm saying for me, that's been the case. I, uh, <laughs> just recently I was writing a big paper and, uh, whenever I write big papers, I throw everything else out the window and it's terrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's an, it's, it's 100% an excuse, right? Yeah. I would write better papers. By not doing that, yeah, yeah. By by keeping things like an exercise routine and other stuff, it's a it's interesting. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you mentioned your experience with it because I one of the ways that I've learned I did epiphany some it's probably been three or four years now where I realized horrifically that I'm a coward. Right? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm dead serious about that. I no, I understand, but it's funny too. It's like like I was like, oh wait, wait. That's what's wrong. <laughs> like, oh, oh, that's why this didn't work out, and this didn't work out, and this didn't work out. Oh, oh, I'm I'm a coward. We should start a club. <laughs> I'll join. There's an old movie, uh, Ninja, 
ninja something. It's it's, it's notoriously it? bad. <laughs> no. It's notoriously bad. You can find it on YouTube, and if you do, it's a gem. Uh about these ninjas, and they have like they wear like headbands that say ninja on them, and they're adult men, and they're all doing like karate tricks and they fight, and then culminates with this. Anyway, it's a it's a lame excuse for a bunch of people who liked karate to do to do silly stuff. But there's this there's like one line of dialogue in the whole thing that's that's memorable, where the master of these three ninjas is like, and remember, don't be a coward. Yes, sensei. And then they all like run off. (laughs) That's the exact line. Like it's so clumsy and poorly worded. And remember, don't be a coward. (laughs) All right. I'll I'll remember that. (laughs) Thank you. My cowardice problem is solved. (laughs) I just had to remember not to be a coward. Which which brings you to to, to our closing argument for this episode. (laughs) That's right. We don't have much advice for you, but here it is. Don't be a coward. <laughs> if you just remember that, you should be fine. <laughs> what do you have? Close us out, Brad. <laughs> Take us home. You know, it's uh it's it's been a weird couple of weeks for me, you know, having having quarantined for COVID, you know, as a capstone to a couple of years that have been weird for me. And so I've really appreciated this uh discussion that we've had talking about about so many things that are wrong in the world and how so much of it comes back to the fact that that you know believe it or not you're right and so many other uh moral philosophers in the past are right that honestly it's you know the outside world is one thing but what matters more than anything else is is what we choose to do about it and and that more than anything else is the failing that we have today. And so, so I, for one, am going to try and do a little bit more to, to make the world around me a better place. And, and so, yeah, I'm glad we had this episode and I hope you guys have, have found it at least interesting and, and hopefully a little bit inspiring and, and we hope to talk to you guys again soon. This has been an episode of Rethinking Politics. You can find us on all of the major podcasting apps or on YouTube. You can reach out to us at rethinkingpoliticspodcast at gmail.com or you can visit our website at rethinkingpolitics.podbean.com where you can support us via Patreon. Thanks. Have a wonderful day.